0: This is Horns Up. I'm Animesh. And I'm Peter. And yes, we're encouraging all of you today and actually this month to pick up a book and read. Well, pick up your device if you'd like to, but read a book. And if you're like, hey, I'm a metalhead, and then uh, what do I read? Well, look no further than USBM, A Revolution of Identity in American Black Metal, authored by Daniel Lake. It's a comprehensive tomb filled with stories from more than 50 USBM bands. And all that material can help you understand not just the who, where, when, and how, but also, and perhaps most importantly, the whys. Ain't that right? Yeah, totally, man. I mean,
1: uh, for somebody who wasn't too familiar with the uh, older scene of West Black Metal, right? I mean, it, it was quite interesting just to see the history. And also, like, I enjoyed reading the history of bands that I really enjoy, like Agalot and uh, all of them, just seeing how they all came together but what's particularly exciting is the newer lot of bands that are there and I think uh, Daniel has done a great job kind of covering most of the bands I mean of course there's going to be a lot of debate as to why certain bands are in the book are they really black metal are they true black metal but uh, yeah I think he's done a great job of you know getting bands from all across the wide umbrella of black metal I would say.
0: Mm, And especially the wide umbrella of black metal in America because yes, although black metal immediately connotates Norwegian black metal and that kind of a European scene, uh, there's a lot going on in America and I think it's finally time that American black metal has its own identity and has its own voice and this book and Daniel in our chat has kind of helped us wrap our heads around what this American identity is. So. Here's a long chat with author Daniel Lake. We aren't just talking about the book. We are discussing black metal. Here we fucking go.
1: And we're joined by Daniel Lake, the author of USBM, A Revolution of Identity in American Black Metal. First of all, congratulations on the book, Daniel. How relieved are you today?
2: Oh, man. I... <laughs> it's it's a beautiful artifact it makes me so happy that it exists uh you know putting all that time into it and uh certainly having uh loads of self-doubt uh throughout the process about uh how it was going to get done and and whether it was going to get done uh, and at the end of the process if it would be valuable uh to anybody once it was done um so yeah i'm just really really happy uh that it exists right now and and that some people are getting into it and uh, enjoying what's, what they're finding there.
0: Hmm, yep, yep. That's an understatement. I mean, uh, whoever ends up reading this book, and this is just coming from personal experience, right, I'm pretty sure is going to enjoy it. Uh, but you know, before we get into talking about uh, the book in detail, let's get to know you a little bit, a bit better. Um, from a few interviews I've read, and please correct my perception and information if I'm wrong. You didn't grow up as such with rock and metal, right?
2: No, uh, I, was, <laughs> I was, I was, I don't know how to explain. I I grew up pretty sheltered uh, in a pretty safe uh, lifestyle. Uh, and the music that my, I guess my parents were listening to uh, what, you know, my parents are not music listeners. They, 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 they like they like music the way I feel like most people like music, which is just something nice to have on in the background, uh, something to have on in the car while they're driving. Um, they're not listening to it. So, um, so the music that I was hearing was, I don't know, like they had Chicago and Neil Diamond records, uh, uh, trying to think, Beach Boys stuff. So that was, those were the records that, that I had at home uh, so that led to, you know, there was a local radio station uh, with a lot of like soft rock pop stuff. That's, that's the stuff that I heard when I was growing up. Um, and I actually uh, was pretty judgmental about things that were heavier. I just, I, they didn't connect to me. And I thought of a lot of that stuff as kind of boneheaded. Um, it, it took a while for me to connect and figure it out and enjoy it. And so kind of when I was in high school, I listened to some, some harder edged stuff, not a lot, um, but uh, some of the alternative rock uh, that was going on in the mid nineties. That was interesting to me. Um, And then, yeah, uh, around 2000, 2001 uh, I, I think what happened was I connected to faith no more. There was something about what I was hearing in Faith No More uh, that was kind of heavier than what I was used to, but also like, you know, the singing was real singing. Uh, I could I could make sense out of what I was hearing. Uh, and then that, you know, Mike Patton was also in Mr. Bungle and Fantomas. And then I was hearing John Zorn and I was hearing Mersbau. And all of a sudden it was noisy, crazy. And then metal could make sense. Then I could hear the musicality and all the cool interesting things going on in heavy music actually what? that's
1: the first i've heard on the podcast anyone saying that they got into metal yeah. from faith no more right <laughs> that's cool
0: yeah that is cool so um I, I i i need to know this what is it about metal that you know appealed to
2: you when it did so I was getting into metal around the same time that I started diving deeply into like Stephen King books. Um, And I think what I was enjoying so much about metal was the same thing that I was getting into with Stephen King was uh, this idea that there's this, the world that we travel through, the world we live in and enjoy on the surface but that there's something deeper and darker that like pulls at us from behind some sort of uh, veil, some sort of veil over reality. Uh, And Stephen King's stories were pulling back that veil and letting all the darkness and ugliness come through. And metal, the metal that I was listening to was doing that. Um, it, It was saying everything you see around you is, fine, but it's surface, and if you dig under the surface just a little bit, here's all this stuff that comes boiling out, and I really, really liked that.
1: From there, how did it kind of, How did you kind of spiral into black metal? I mean, what was it about the genre or subgenre that made you a fan?
2: Uh, it scared the crap out of me. <laughs> uh, the, the stuff. I mean, that's, it's what I wanted, right? Like when I talk about growing up in kind of a, a sheltered safe environment. Um, I also didn't watch any horror movies when I was a kid. That just okay. never happened for me. Uh, and so at some point, I guess I realized, wait, like, yeah, sometimes it's, sometimes that stuff is scary and gory, uh, but it's also, it, it's also, there's a, it, it's also fake. Right. And so you can enjoy what it is. Um, and I, I started enjoying the idea of just getting scared out of my mind, and so I started looking for music that would just completely freak me out. Um, so, like stuff I was hearing by Gorgoroth uh, or by this French band Spectre. Um, uh, to go totally over the top, um, there was this this thing called Stalag uh, that existed for a little while. That was like really noisy, like half hour not even black metal, but, but black metal adjacent, just kind of freaky stuff. Anyway, that, I, I wanted stuff to freak me out. Wow.
0: <laughs> All right. So, you
1: know, let's dive into the book now. I mean, USBM, Revolution of Identity in American Black Metal. Where and how was the germ or the spark of writing such a book born?
2: It's it's not clear because it it didn't totally start with me. It happened in conversation. Um, The editor, Albert Mudrian, uh, uh, who's the editor of Decibel magazine, who I've been writing for, for for almost a decade. Mm
0: -hmm.
2: Um, He had been in conversation with some other people. He was thinking of, of things that hadn't been done yet. Um, This book about us black metal came up. He approached me and we talked about it. Um, You know, I say this, I I don't know what I'm about to say is definitely true, uh, but a couple months before uh, we talked about writing this book, um, I had written a cover story about wolves in the throne room. And I had started that cover story with the letters USBM as a way of saying like, this music has been maligned for so long. This has been a four letter word uh, in the, the classic sense. Um, but no longer not once wolves in the throne room came on, on the scene, uh, they were saying something that meant more to people.
0: Now um, that makes a lot of sense. I was wondering why you're thanking USBM and those four letters. <laughs>
2: okay. Yep, and, and now, wow. Okay, cool. Thanks for sharing that. Yeah. So whether, whether Albert was thinking that when he talked to me or not, I, I'm not sure. Um, but that that was just a couple months before. And then, then you know, in the fall of 2017, he and I were talking about it. Um, and I got really excited because this is music that is really interesting to me and has been for a while. Um, so it was great to dig into it. It was so much fun to talk to so many people making this music. So, yeah, it was a good time.
0: Okay. You know, it's, it's, it's a really fascinating book because... Uh, to those who tend to judge books by their covers and their titles, right? It it could seem like it's a very daunting read, you know, filled with encyclopedic facts and history. But your book really isn't that kind of a book. Um, two questions here and largely help me, help us kind of just wrap our heads around how uh, you decided to basically structure the whole thing, right? The first one being, uh, what was the intent or
2: objective you had for the book in the first place? So yeah, my initial objective was kind of exactly what you suggested earlier was an encyclopedia of US black metal. I, I wanted, you know, this this kind of book doesn't exist yet or, or or before this, nobody had compiled it quite this way. And I knew that I was, you know, being the first into the game, uh, I I had the opportunity to create something definitive and I didn't want to do anything less. Anything less sounded uh, just not worthwhile. Um, So that was my goal. Um, Along the way, you know, it turned out that, you know, (laughs) even what I wrote would have been like uh, over 700 pages uh that you know so so it had to be it had to be sliced down some care had to be taken in what we were presenting um so it didn't end up being uh an exhaustive encyclopedia um but yeah it was that was the intent was just to like to to offer the the music that's been happening the history uh of these people uh for a bunch of people to read
0: you know, it's interesting you say that. That um, you you started out thinking that this would be an encyclopedia, but that's the difference, right? An encyclopedia is is cold. It's full of facts. However, your book is extremely easy to digest because essentially it's just stories, right? Uh, and it's so unique in that front because it's through these stories of these several bands that you've managed to trace this entire, uh, USBM, uh, not just the timelines, but like the history of it and the various regions, et cetera, et cetera. So when and why did you choose to let the band stories as such be the chief narrative device for this book?
2: That's an easy and early decision, uh, for a couple reasons. Um, for one, uh, I, like I said, I've been writing for Decibel magazine for, um, almost a decade. And so writing, whether it's, uh, a, a short feature on a band, uh, or a cover story, uh, the goal is always to let the band speak. Um, you know, the people don't come to the magazine, uh, excited because the names of the, uh, of the writers of the magazine are on the cover. That's, that's not why they picked up the magazine, right? (laughs) They picked up the magazine because the names of the bands are on the cover. They want to hear from the bands. Uh, And so, you know, that's, that's the goal is let the bands speak. Um, Also, you know, there's all kinds of ways uh, in try, like if I were to try to summarize uh, what band members are saying, there are all, all kinds of ways I could mess that up. Uh, that I could read into something or, or say something in a certain way uh, that is not what uh, the people I was talking to actually meant. Um, So better to let them talk uh, and not allow me to get in the way. Also, I think the last thing is um, to, I think a lot of, a lot of people who are deep into this stuff, I'm a total poser, right? Like I don't, I don't play in a black metal band. Uh, I don't come out of this stuff from the early '90s. So what the hell do I know? Uh, and and that's a, th- those are valid points. Like I'm happy to write about it, um, but but let's let the people who really are deeply invested. Let's let them speak as much as possible. Yeah,
0: you're
1: you're not true enough.
2: huh? No, no, totally not. <laughs> totally false.
0: That fact itself is what immediately gives this book more credibility than anything else out there. (laughs) (laughs) The fact that you're able to look at it from an outsider's perspective. And we'll get into talking about that a bit later.
2: Sure.
1: (laughs) All right. So, you know, there are 50 bands, there are excellent stories about them in this book. How did you end up deciding, you know, which bands to actually feature? Because some of them for like we were mentioning earlier for true black metal fans they kind of stand out and they may not even like want to buy this book because of their inclusion right i I know Animesh is smiling so i know why he's (laughs)
2: smiling (laughs) sure man uh so there are a couple things um uh first i got into contact with uh neil jameson from krieg uh very early uh And he threw out kind of a list of people and bands that he thought were uh, useful for this project. Um, He is, I mean, he really has been around this scene forever. Um, And he's been in contact because not only was he in a band, uh, he was in, you know, a couple different bands, um, but also ran a music label um so he just he just has his his fingers out there in the world uh, of this music. Um so getting input from him early was really important. Uh on top of that, um when I was interviewing for the book when I interviewed members of bands and I asked them like what first of all what kinds of things influenced you but also who do you consider your peers in this music um you know, I would listen to them and take in, you know, what, what other bands have I not heard of yet that I should be talking about? Um, and the, the, the last bit is, frankly, uh, I used my own tastes uh, and my own background knowledge uh, to guide some things. Um, that absolutely is going to piss some people off. Um, th- there are things that I can appreciate uh, as being related to black metal that got included in this book that other people will hate, uh, will despise that they're there. And I, and I, you know, missed this other band or, and I get that. Um, but you know, I wrote the book and I I had to, I've long thought that writing about music cannot be an objective process. Writing about music is inherently subjective. And so that's a part of, you know, what crept into USBM, the book. Yeah.
1: one of the things i mean that struck me about the book right and i'm glad you kind of included it and i'm quoting uh the musician here he says if there's anything that i hate more than books about black metal it's books about american black metal and this is john gauzard of the band uh yeah. Neakling, right so <laughs> like him were there any other bands that you know didn't want to be included in the book uh or were there any musicians that you didn't get a chance to speak to?
2: There there were tons of musicians I did not get a chance to speak to. Um, not always because uh, they didn't want to be part of it. Um, some people I couldn't get in contact with. Um, for instance, Andy Harris of Judas Iscariot, um, it's, it's not clear how to contact him or if he wants to be contacted by, by anyone who's not you know, a friend of his. Um, so I, I couldn't speak to him about Judas Iscariot. Um, so I talked to some other people about it. Um, I could not get in touch with anybody in the Black Twilight Circle, uh, which was a real bummer. I think that scene, uh, the music happening there, the people making that music, uh, the the impetus behind that music is really incredible. Um, and I think it deserves attention. Um, so So the fact that I couldn't get in touch with anybody in that group um, was disappointing. Uh,
0: you no, know, interestingly, there are four record labels that each get a chapter as well. Um, why was it necessary to include them?
2: Well, and actually, that's a, that's a good point. There were there, like I said, I I wrote enough that would have uh, made this book impossible to like put in a in a cover. Um, and there was a section that included uh, more um, record labels. Uh, I I think that that's an important, or certainly early on, it occurred to me that the musicians are level one of all this stuff they are on the ground doing the work um but to get this stuff heard there have to be people at certainly during the 90s uh and maybe early 2000s there had to be people at record labels uh who took an interest in this music and found ways to get it distributed um and so i wanted to talk to them also uh the truth is Uh, And the reason that a lot of that stuff did not get included in the final product is that a lot of the record label people I talked to were, frankly, far more interested in European black metal during the 90s uh, than in uh, black metal coming out of the U.S. Um, And uh, don't get me wrong, those were incredible conversations. And that history matters to the trajectory of the scene. But um, because it veered pretty frequently away from uh, music coming out of the U.S., uh, it just didn't quite fit the story uh, being told in the book.
0: Hmm. But
2: anyway, so my—I I don't know that I answered your question. I, I veered off into something else. But like, but I think those uh, the record labels that we did uh, include—they—they they are voices. Uh, that helped expand the worlds of the bands and and who was listening and how sales were going and how sales have changed over the past couple decades
0: okay so uh, you've already mentioned this like you know this could have been a book that was 700 pages long instead of the five hundred and forty odd pages it is at the moment or um, you could you have written you could have written so much that there wouldn't be it wouldn't be possible to bind this whole thing together. So how many hours of research and interviews do you actually have on you?
2: It's wow. I I don't know. <laughs> it's significant. Um <laughs> uh, it was a lot of a lot of email back and forth. Um it was Can you put it getting... in GB? Um, go ahead, sorry.
1: <laughs> can you put like the voice recordings in GB at least? How many GB on oh. your hard drive does it take?
2: I can I tell you, I I love the, the process of, of writing, and I love talking to these people. The thing that I hate the absolute most is transcribing interviews. <laughs> Conversations that I have already enjoyed, now I have to listen to them at like a quarter of the speed and listen to some over and over again to type it up. It's the worst. That, that's why you start podcasts. I'm just saying. <laughs> so, so absolutely. I've, I have. I thought almost every time I sat down to listen to an interview and type it up, I thought, wouldn't this just be easier to like put out there and like get people to like, I don't know, listen to it online?
0: <laughs> yeah, yeah. And you really can't trust those AI-driven transcribing bots yeah. because. For things like metal, where names and uh, album titles and song titles are just so out of the ordinary, (laughs) oh man, it takes longer to correct all of that than it is to do it yourself. That's right.
2: A lot of people I know, because I don't spend a huge amount of time with people who enjoy metal, uh, a lot of people I know were like, oh, come on, there's a lot of like speech to text stuff. Surely you can... No, when, when the band you're talking about is Nbilulu Gugal, no, nothing's going to transcribe that correctly.
0: (laughs) Yeah. Okay. Okay. So, so, so I'm going to put you on the spot, which interview was the
2: most daunting one to conduct? Oh, wow. Um, that's really interesting. Uh, you know, so some of the interviews happened, some of the tough interviews happened over email. So they weren't super daunting other than I, uh, I had to, I felt like I had to write questions carefully around certain subjects to try to get good answers. Um, you know, so trying to get um, the dude from Black Witchery was, uh, was, was a little tough um, and I knew that would be, but again, that was over email. Um, things like uh, talking to Dagon from Inquisition. Um, again, that happened over email. So was that a huge deal? No. Um, my very first phone interview was with Jeff Whitehead from Leviathan. And that was a huge deal for multiple reasons. Um, I know that Jeff is pretty private. Um, I, I didn't know how our interaction would go. Um, he's also hugely important to the scene. You know, if this book was going to work, Jeff Whitehead would need to be part of the conversation. Um, True. And, and he's a huge part of my own musical listening habits over the past 20 years. I have loved... Uh, the, the stuff that he's created. So I went into that with, you know, some real hesitation. And it was awesome. He was great to talk to. I think the material he provided that I could put into the book was amazing. Um, but he was also just really personable. Um, there was a moment when, during our conversation, uh, I think maybe a, an hour and a half in, um, I wasn't feeling all that well and I had to get off the phone. Like I, and and I felt weird. Like this is one of my kind of uh, musical heroes uh, who I need to talk to. I need his, like his goodwill. And I'm saying, look, man, can we do some of this later? I know you agreed to this conversation, but could we talk tomorrow? And he was like, yeah, that's great. man. let's, let's talk tomorrow. And we did another two hours. So. Okay. That's cool. That was great.
1: Right. So, I mean, you talked about that, but, pretty sure you're familiar with uh the scene from metal ahead banger's journey uh, where sam dunn interviews gal right yeah, you know what i'm yeah. talking about <laughs> <laughs> i think i think that's like an iconic uh, scene uh so many years later also but did did you encounter any similar thing or did you have any similar or were there? you
0: expecting to encounter any any similar kind of a thing yes
2: <laughs> why uh, uh, I definitely expected it definitely expected it um, did I experience anything like that no um, the people who dealt with me over email generally answered the questions clearly and thoughtfully uh, which I appreciated and the people I talked to over the phone like look Mike Ford uh, who uh, is behind Black Funeral you know if you look at that the the, the records that he's created you know if anybody was going to get on and sound like Gull like that dude what, like his his records are so like like vampiric satanic he's also got um all these books that he's written about luciferianism um he's deeply deeply into that um so you know but that guy was so great he was so great to talk to um open and thoughtful and it was just a a real um I hate to say joy in this, in this conversation, in this context, but it it was a great time talking to him.
0: Okay. So, so just building on that, um, how many interviews were you like, you know, pleasantly surprised by like at either how easy they were or just how
2: fun they were? Uh, all of them because I, I go into an interview worried every interview I go into, I go in worried that we won't connect um, that whoever I'm talking to, you know, will pick up on my falseness, uh, and immediately be like, okay, well, you know, this isn't going to work and kind of shut me down. Um, and so whenever I get somebody on the phone, who's legitimately interested in conversation and I can relax and enjoy that conversation, it feels great. Um, you know, I was, I was, concerned about my conversation with the guys in fauna uh from um uh out west uh the west coast and they were again they were great to talk to they were willing to do more than one session on the phone um so that was a lot of fun um for a long time i could not get in contact with austin uh from panopticon uh and i was really worried about that um, and then once I could get in contact with him, I was very worried that he, again, wouldn't really want to talk to me. Um, and that panned out beautifully. He, You know, I think we really connected. We spent a lot of time chatting. So it was great. Yeah,
1: I, I really enjoyed reading his chapter. I mean, the, the kind of story that goes behind and, you know, kind of background and where he comes from and all of that. I really enjoyed uh, reading that.
0: And that is one thing that, you know, kind of um, really helps us understand what the bands themselves are saying, because that comfort factor that you talked about, that is, that kind of is evident in almost each and every chapter. Personally, you know, I really love the liturgy chapter because just because of the depth of the interview itself and how comfortable and open Hunter seemed with telling her story. Um, can you tell us a little bit more about that particular
2: conversation? Sure. Um, yeah. So we actually had that conversation um, before Hunter went public um, as, as being okay. a woman, And so, um, you know, we, we had the conversation, I think, late 2018, maybe middle of 2019. I don't quite remember. Um, and I had written up a bunch of stuff there, um, but but keep in mind, none of the transphobic material uh, or the the conversations about uh, transphobia, yeah, uh, none, of, none of that was part of our original interview, um, and so I I emailed her and asked, you know with this in mind, are there changes that we need to make? Um, And her initial point was, no, just, you know, make sure you gender me correctly, Um, which was fine and easy. And I wrote that section up uh, and then I sent it to her for just kind of rubber stamp, you know, this, this is right. This sounds good. And frankly, the way I wrote it, the approach that I took kind of pissed her off. Um, Really? Because of my history with this music, first of all, I really enjoy liturgy and I, it, it, it fits in perfectly with kind of the, um, the, the weird music that, that interests me. So I was very positive about the music, but I framed the history of the band as, you know, you know, liturgy has always been considered false by the, you know, the, the black metal, the hardcore black metal community. Uh, and she was like, actually, there are a couple reasons why that's not really true. And it's certainly not true anymore. And she kind of over email filled me in on the way that the band has progressed over the last five or six years and really found its audience and so that old like backlash history w- was not really relevant anymore. So it was my own like, you know, coming up through the, the 2010s um, that made me think this is what liturgy is or this is how liturgy relates to the scene. It was really good to get that extra input. And I think it informed the new way that I framed that section.
0: Hmm, okay. That's an interesting reaction, which, you know, which leads me to ask: Have you had to face any other fire now that the book is out? Like, sure. if this was rap and the rap world, I'm pretty sure you would have heard diss tracks. So, are you expecting to hear any more diss tracks?
1: Or, or to put it into context, are there like keyboard warriors right now, like, just like writing up reams of reviews <laughs> saying that, who the hell is this poser?
2: Yeah, it's, it's mostly happening in comment sections. Um, <laughs> and, and it was, uh, I think, initially primarily driven by the fact that um, the cover of the book was published, uh, you know, a month or so before the book got out there, uh, including the back cover. And the back cover it has a, you know, a promotional list, including these bands.
0: Exactly. Oh, there you Maybe go. There you go
2: yeah, maybe twelve bands on there. Well, you know, anybody deep into this stuff is like, what? How could you include this band and not this other band?? yeah, uh, yeah lots of lots of what? No Grand Belials key or or Judas Iscariot comments <laughs> uh, which are both covered, I think, pretty well in the book. Um, but so yeah. so so that, like, set off a bunch of people to type all kinds of comments. I've seen at least one review and and like one video uh, that before the book was even out, before anybody had even read it, uh, there were people coming out deeply against what this book was and what it meant to the the scene. And it's like, man, go away.
0: (laughs) (laughs) That can only happen in black metal, man. That's so fucking awesome. And this is coming from a guy who plays in a... <laughs> <laughs> but
2: look, can I say, like, uh, I th- people, there are legitimate grievances about this book. Like, there are legitimate things that this book does not do well. And, and I'm okay with that criticism. People, like, reading it and saying, okay, I read it, and these are the things that it didn't do well. That's reasonable. That's totally good. I'm fine with it. Um, I, I'm not I, I'm not starry eyed about what the book is. I don't imagine that it's the perfect document. Um, but you, yeah, people, you don't people you don't
1: can't... claim to be metal archives, huh?
2: <laughs> no,
1: it's like this uh, band is not metal. <laughs>
2: <Deleted>. <laughs> no, in fact, I think I address that in both the introduction. Exactly. And, yeah. And I, I try to make it clear, you know, I, I tried. This is my best shot at it um, during these years. Uh, I can imagine, you know, look, there are a couple interviews I got that if you had tried to get a hold of these people uh, in 2003, they would have refused, flat out refused. It, it's taken them years to decide, actually, I, I could enjoy talking about this. Um, and, And so that's probably true, you know, 10 years down the line, there might be people who didn't want to talk to me, um, who will be more interested in talking later on.
1: Correct me if I'm wrong, but while I was doing research, I came across somewhere that you had written that you almost gave up writing the book. Is that true? And if so, are you comfortable talking to us about it?
2: Uh, Sure. Um, Because I think You know, as much as I appreciate the musicians being open and honest with me, you know, I I think that anybody who approaches a big project um, is likely to face uh, real doubt about how that project gets done. So, yeah, sure. Hmm. Um, The combination of the amount of work that this project would take and the fact that I have a day job that takes up a huge amount of my energy um, I'm a a high school teacher. And so there were months out of the year when I just, I would come home and I would feel like I didn't have the appropriate attention and energy, um, to dive into this music. Uh, it, it's a a creative task, but so is teaching. And so they were both there, you know, it's not like two different tanks, uh, you know, they were, they were draining from the same tank. Um, So, you know, during the summer months, I went all in with the book and I would get into this groove. I would get into this, uh, this kind of daily, weekly uh, groove of making progress. And it was great. Um, And then September would happen and it'd be like, fine, fine. I can do school and I can keep up with this. And slowly through like September, October into November, it would just fade. Um, so yeah, there were a couple times when deadlines were coming up and I was sure that I, there was no way like this. I I didn't see it coming together and I didn't know how it was going to happen. Uh, I, I walked up to the editor, he and I were at a, uh, at a brewery uh for a big event uh and uh at some point I, I just i was halfway through a beer uh i i rolled over to him and i opened my mouth to be to talk about how like this wasn't going well and he should probably pass it off to somebody else i would happy to like give what i had done to somebody else and he was like ah don't worry about it it'll get done <laughs>
0: all right <laughs> full 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 points to your editor for saying that because there's there's like this there's like this uh calvin and hobbes comic strip that i always use and i always uh, refer to whenever deadlines etc and just the just just execution comes around where essentially the strip says or calvin says um the only thing that really gets me pumping is when the deadline is I know that I have to deliver. Otherwise yeah. I'll, yeah, <laughs> it'll happen. Definitely.
2: Yeah. Yeah. He was, he was great, man. It, it was, uh, it was really important that he had gone through this process himself, uh, writing um, choosing death. Uh, he published that back in, I think, 2004. Uh, so the fact that he had experience working at this level uh, was pretty useful uh, for making sure that I kept going.
0: Hmm. Okay, so uh, you mentioned the summer months when you were in the full groove of writing, right? So I just want to quickly ask, um, are you the kind of writer who enjoys music while writing? Uh, Totally. Totally. Um, What were you listening to? Was it a lot of USBM itself or something absolutely off, uh, something that just helps you write?
2: Well, so while I write, um, I as much as possible, if, if the music, the rhythms of the music, the sounds of the music um, can infect the way I structure the sentences, the, way, the words that I choose, um, I, I would hate to write about a band and have that writing not sound like it represents the band. Um so whenever I'm writing about a band, I'm always listening to that band's music. Uh always. Um now when I stop writing,
1: I kinda use the same thing, so I'm just smiling.
2: So um like afterwards, sure, I'm I'm not, you know punishing myself with constantly listening to the same thing uh when I'm not writing. Uh you know, I, I told you that, you know, I, I come from listening to kind of goofy music. And since that's my background, look, there's still a lot of goofy music that I listen to in my off time. Um, but, uh, yeah, yeah, I listen to all, all the black metal that I was writing about. I was listening to it while I was writing. And before.
1: All right. So, you know, how much new music have you discovered because of this exercise i must ask
2: a bunch um it's been so great not not just bands uh because to to be honest a lot of the bands i I knew about look i've been writing for a music magazine uh for almost a decade like even stuff that i haven't actually listened to i'm aware of um but you know there's this band Wada that uh has blown up in the US in the past couple of years. Um I did not know uh that one of the guys in Iwata and his brother uh, had had a band before that called Ceremonial Castings which did amazing music. I was a huge fan. When I dove into Ceremonial Castings, I was I was in love with it. Um so that was cool. Um I didn't really know much about the Michigan black metal scene. Uh, so bands like masochist, uh, which is really, really like confrontational uh, and uh, wind of the black mountains. Um, just really weird black metal. Uh, anyway. So yeah, I, I discovered a bunch of stuff that was really exciting to me. Cool. Okay. Um, Now, you know,
0: with the way news media and opinion media works, and given that you're the author of the book, I'm sure eventually, like, you know, you'll get called on to defend USBM more often than before, right? Um, First up, what's the opening statement to the detractors?
2: It's not the, uh, my opening statement is not the one that a bunch of black metal guys would be interested in. But my thing is, you know what? Music is music and honest music is what matters. Anyone who is writing and playing music that is deeply from themselves, that's it, man. I don't need to to hear uh, like a, a completely brand new idea that no one has ever thought of before. I, I don't think most of that exists. Um But to hear a bunch of ideas that are put together in a way that really speaks to the person creating it, that matters. And that's always going to matter. Um, Music is always worth making. So, you know, if there are people in the United States uh, who who, who can create interesting things out of blast beats, and screaming, uh, and tremolo picking, or really evil riffing, okay, other people have done it, that's fine. But if it's, if it's true to who they are, uh, and where they're coming from, that's great, that they should make that music.
0: Okay. Um, here's another thought I had, right? Uh, black metal is a genre that today, I think, is kind of over-fragmented with highly segmented subgenres right? But strangely enough, and especially in the USA, um, strangely enough, it's exactly how the world kind of perceives the United States today. It's large, there's lots of different kinds of terrains, demographics and ideas. And though you may have people who can shout themselves and their views hoarse, everyone's still entitled to their own point of view. But still, everyone is under the banner of the USA or the banner of the USA kind of brings everyone together. Right? So having said that, here's the question, then Um, can anyone truly answer what USBM is about? Can it be defined like how Norwegian black metal can? Is there a unifying identity to it? Apart from the fact that everyone's born or brought up in the USA?
2: So there are definitely, as you basically said, also there are going to be a bunch of different opinions about that. Um, You know, I I quote Paul Ledney kind of a lot. Uh, Paul Ledney from Profanatica, who is very clear: Uh, U.S. black metal has this sound. You know, it's a it's a dirty, satanic form of death metal, Um, and the people who are playing that satanic death metal. That is what US black metal is. That's what it always should have been. And every other sound does not belong to be called US black metal. I, that's, that's a worthy opinion. I, I understand where it comes from. Um, and the certainly a, a large portion of the 1990s bears that out. Um, and, and that music is great. I mean, that music is truly super evil Uh, and really dark and puts you in some really interesting places. But then, you know, there are other approaches. There there is growth. There is taking these ideas and mapping them out differently and playing them for different purposes. And so you get lots of different sounds out of that. Um, One of the things I've said that I think holds true for a lot of U.S. black metal is that instead of being outwardly aggressive, um, a lot of US black metal is specifically inwardly aggressive. Um, and that takes the music to, I mean, you know what? Maybe that's kind of a, a self obsession. Maybe that's part of why people, people say, well, US black metal is, is silly because it's a bunch of people you know, in their bedrooms uh, thinking about themselves and that's it. Maybe, uh, but but I also think there's something pretty important about being that um, introspective.
0: All right, so um, you know this view that you have of uh, of of you know which is, which goes against the uh, popular belief that black metal can only be viewed from a puritanical kind of a perspective, right? Um, I think it's lovely that your book propagates the fact that. You cannot and you should not view this as only a true person or something of that sort. I don't know why I did invisible orange, but I did it because it's <laughs> you meant this. Yeah, obviously, yeah, right. It's it's true black metal. Uh was that was that something that heavily played on your mind while writing this book that that you know, this isn't true and that's it's completely okay for it to not be true.
2: Yeah. Uh, absolutely Dur- during the whole writing process. Uh, I, I'm one of those people who thinks about all of the arguments against what I'm writing. Uh, all, all the people who will hate the sentence that I'm typing right now, I'm thinking about that because that's going to inform the next thing I write or the next paragraph or whatever. Um, so yeah, that was always on my mind. But I, I also think, so what's, what's interesting to me is not just that there's progress made uh, by by taking these elements of music and doing different things with them, but there's all there's also always the other pull uh, pulling backward, uh, being regressive and against all that progress, and that music that really dirty, basic primal stuff is also really satisfying and matters a lot. Uh, and so the the constant tug between these things, I think, is what makes some of the most interesting music, both, both sides.
1: All right. So, you know, we touched upon this slightly earlier and you talked about, you know, the keyboard warriors and those in the comment sections on websites, right? But one of the things I really appreciated about the book is that you have a section right after the introduction, which you've titled... Bad shit in black metal. So, could you just take us, you know, through that? Was there a debate or discussion on including, you know, controversial bands as part of the book?
2: Sure. So let let me let me first offer a warning to anybody who uh, is writing a book and then turns in manuscripts to an editor. Uh, yeah, that section, I, <laughs> I. I just threw in a, a bold subtitle in the manuscript, unedited, like bad shit in black metal. Like I'm sure we'll find a place for this. And and I was thinking there'll be, we'll figure out some other title for it. No, 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 no. It just got in the book. And <laughs> I did not expect <laughs> that phrase uh, to to actually be printed in such beautiful script as it was. Uh, anyway. <laughs> um, yeah, I mean, I think in my very first um, outline that I turned in, it included a chapter on bands specifically that had some real negativity uh, outside the music surrounding them. Um, Some real, you know, what I consider uh, ugly political views, socio-political views. So I always knew that was something that I would be addressing. Uh, As I built the book in kind of a chronological and geographical way, it didn't make sense to have a chapter like that. Um, But at the same time, again, I was always worried about, about addressing this because I look, I, I'm pretty liberal as far as someone from the United States. Uh, so, you know, I certainly don't want people to think that my viewpoint is kind of backwards and whatever. Uh, but at the same time, like, I don't, I don't know. I don't feel comfortable telling people what they should or not should or should not feel good listening to. Um, certainly when it comes to the history of this stuff, frankly, a lot of the, you know, kind of cancel culture that exists, uh, comes out of the, the internet culture of the past 15 years. And that, that, uh, focus on everything that somebody says just didn't exist in the nineties. Um, so it it's hard for me to throw too much hate on bands who were doing things in the 90s to be provocative uh and you know in the rear view uh it makes them sound like complete assholes um you know they still belong in the history so i knew i had to cover those bands Um, and i say had to again i don't want to make it sound like it was some terrible thing It was important to cover those bands at the same time it is the year 2020 and we can't ignore uh the the ugly stuff so yeah i was always worried about how i was going to have to address it and it occurred to me that it made a lot of sense right after an introduction to just say it like this is a thing we need to be aware of it we need to be able to deal with it and i included quotes from uh, a bunch of the musicians i talked to uh to get perspectives you know not just my own perspective uh for the same reasons i talked about earlier
1: oh fair enough and i totally appreciate that i mean i'm glad you put that in so it kind of sent a good context for the rest of the book and where you're going with uh now this is something i'm going to add because you know both animation i in the last couple of years that we've been doing the podcast kind of struggle with i mean you know, a very often, uh, a phrase we hear often is, you know, separate the art from the artist, but with black metal, right. And considering the history and then furthermore, even you look into, you know, the Norwegian scene that really most of these U S artists, uh, take inspiration from, how do you kind of do that? I mean, is that something that also kind of weighed in?
2: Yeah. I don't know where I fall on, on that concept. Um, and i don't say that because i have an idea and i don't want to say it i really don't know where i fall uh with that stuff um black metal is not pop music yeah um it is not orchestral music it it, it does not come from the whole wide range of human of possible human emotion and experience it is specifically ugly music. It comes from a specifically dark place. So, are we really surprised that when we open up personal darkness, we find things that are detestable? <laughs> like, I, I guess that shouldn't surprise us. Yeah. So, so fine. Like we can say, yeah, this stuff is not where I come from in my life. Um, but music doesn't always have to promote exactly your entire worldview. Um, you know, each song can encapsulate part of who you are, um, and for some of us, frankly, have having this part of who you are, that's really dark and ugly, having a way to wall it off and say, this exists as part of me, but I see it, I know it, I'm aware of it. And I will, you know, try to find the, the light in myself too. I, I think that's valuable. Um, I also worry that, that in what this conversation is, I'm trying to provide some nuance uh, that will get completely rolled over by other people. Uh, you know, I worry that people will come out and, and, and call me out for being an awful person. Um, I, I, I hope that won't happen. I don't believe that's true, but getting into these conversations is dangerous.
1: No, so I just to kind of build on and not kind of take further what you were saying, but I wanted to explore another aspect because, you know, you talked about how a certain song, you know, and with music, right, since it's subjective. Uh, I'll give you my personal example. There's certain music that, you know, got me through a tough time in my life. But, you know, so many years later, I cannot listen to that music anymore, just because it brings back or takes me back to that place. Uh, Is that something, you know, and of course, some of it is black metal. So, you know, the really depressive stuff. Uh, So many years later, it's very different. Is that something similar? Do you have a similar relationship? Uh, how is it writing about that or re-exploring that part?
2: Yeah, I, I don't have that experience with black metal. Ah, that's interesting. Um, because I still can appreciate all of the dark places that it takes me to, Um Maybe maybe, huh, maybe that means that I uh, have not grown as a person enough um, to, to have put it behind me, which I, I guess is uh, not great. <laughs> but um, yeah, no, it, I, can, I can still connect to all that stuff. It all still matters to me. Uh, when, when you say that, uh, the closest I come, I think, is that uh, in like right around the time I was 20, uh, I spent a huge amount of time with Guns N' Roses and with Eminem. Uh, and I would say, I would say you, 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 like, I'm sure,
1: like all the true metal fans or black metal fans are just going to switch off right after this.
0: <laughs> I mean, okay, okay. Oh wow, wow! I've never put those two together. I mean, Eminem so like- gave us a reason to put aeros m&m together but
2: (laughs) (laughs) no because because both of those both of the music that, that, that those people were making uh was just like you know poke a finger in your eye i hate you i hate the world i hate everything uh and it's but it's also so petulant um and i can't go back to that like it was stuff that I spent a, a bunch of time on for a couple years and I can't listen to it. I can't enjoy it because it reminds me of a person who I was that I don't like very much.
1: Great. Right, fair enough.
2: Fair enough. All right. Uh, coming back to
0: black metal now and um, th- this is the funny thing about black metal, right? Uh, there's a lovely quote by Odin Thompson, owner of Moribund records in your book, which says, inherent in black metal is that it's a hateful art form. Uh, That quote, and there's another section that makes the point of black metal being a genre that's meant to shock the mainstream, right? That's a part of the genre that I continuously kind of try try and wrap my head around because it still doesn't make sense to me. And I guess I don't know whether I really enjoy it or not because it ends up becoming this... Uh, you know, dog eats man kind of news. And unfortunately, it ends up becoming the reason for most black metal coverage and for most black metal stereotypes, right? Um, was that a thought on your mind while writing the book to obviously go deeper, but also to, you know, educate the reader that there's so much more to this music and to this lifestyle associated with it. It's, it's not just about, people wearing cops paint and going. Gah!
2: Yeah, sure. And, and since my appreciation of this stuff is music based, uh, you know, it's, it's not, it's not really lifestyle based. My appreciation is of the music itself. Um, so yeah, I was much more interested in going deep on uh, the stories of the people making the music uh, and the sounds that they made. Um, I wasn't interested in sensationalizing things. You know, I I make a uh, I, I try to make a very clear point um, that a lot of these people do not consider themselves part of a scene because it was more um, more personal than that, uh, more hermetic than that. Um, but at the same time, let's not sensationalize the like you know one guy in the basement. Uh, who who hates everyone and and you know isolates himself because that's also not really true. Yeah, um, let's let's really understand what we're talking about and not just sensationalize things. Mm, thanks for doing that. All right.
1: So one question then, you know, since we're talking so much about it, and you know, you spent three years uh, writing the book, has your perception and connect with the genre in music? changed now that you've spent so much time with it and how
2: well in some pretty superficial and and awful ways like i you know i've, I've used the uh metal archives a, a lot to just kind of make sure i'm keeping everything straight um and recently i thought oh i need to look up this this band that was not a black metal band and i thought oh i can't go to metal archives they're not u.s black metal and I was like, "Wait a minute, what am I?" Like, I I got so tunnel vision that I started thinking of Metal Archives as only covering U.S. black metal. That's that was a dark moment. Uh, but um, uh, yeah. So I was explaining to somebody else recently, uh, as a as a teacher, you know, I listen to a lot of stuff in the classroom, and and I talk sometimes about the music I listen to, and you know so over the past few years, you know, a student would say to me, Mr. Lake, what what does black metal even sound like? What what are you talking about? And so I would try to come up with, okay, what's the song that I should play that within the first 10 to 30 seconds encapsulates black metal? This seems easy, right? Black metal is one of those genres like, whatever, it all kind of blurs together. It sounds the same, no problem. I could do this. No, I couldn't. I couldn't ever do it. I kept being like, oh, this is it. This is the band that, and it would be this, it would not be the blast tremolo scream that I, you know, wanted it to be. And that just made me realize holy crap, like, there are, pe- there are people really like making interesting music that is not, uh, that is not the, the most obvious. Uh, and every time I push play on a record, I'm hearing things that, yeah, they, they derive from other things and they're related to other things, but mostly they're doing something different with it. That's so great to me. So I I think my appreciation deepened, um, and I'm more interested, uh, in listening to this stuff more often than, than I think I was even before I started the book.
1: Awesome. Awesome. All right. So we're going to start winding down a bit, but that yeah. means uh, it doesn't get easier. We're going to have some fun this time. So since we've talked so much, right, who would you pick as, you know, the big four or the Mount Rushmore of USBM, and why?
2: Yeah, so, I mean, we got to, it's interesting. We got to start with Vaughn because Vaughn is considered like the, the primal U.S. black metal band. Uh, even though, interestingly, uh, someone like Paul Ledney of Profanatica will say, you know, they weren't being listened to in the 90s. So there were no other 90s bands that were ac- actually being influenced by Vaughn um, because their recorded stuff didn't really get distributed much in the underground uh, until years later. Um, but anyway... Let, let's go ahead with Vaughn anyway, <laughs> because of because of the mark that they have made. All right. So uh,
1: that's your first pick.
2: Sure, sure. Uh, man, I'm gonna get myself into some trouble.
1: <laughs> <laughs> I, I I can so find this uh, going on one of those listicle websites or something like that, yeah. like sensationalized.
2: Yeah, yeah. Uh, I mean, the the rest. The rest of this list just has to be Death Heaven three times, right? <laughs> uh, yeah, no. Um, you know, I think that uh, Judas Iscariot is also kind of a big deal coming out of the 90s. Um I think that stuff encapsulates a lot of what black metal was turning into. Um, so I think that matters. Um, I, I have to put Leviathan up there because Leviathan, for all kinds of reasons is it, it's crazy how progressive and boneheaded leviathan's music sounds it it somehow attacks from both sides and i don't know how that's possible and it's amazing um so leviathan definitely goes in there um that's an interesting pick uh for a fourth i don't know uh (laughs) just i mean i personally love panopticon i personally think panopticon's um Uh, trajectory through its discography tells a story of a man going through his life I I don't I I said to Austin recently I don't think I listen to his albums as standalone records anymore I think I listen to it as one like like a lifetime concept record uh, that spans I don't know was it seven eight albums, nine albums now.
0: That's fantastic. That's, that's a fantastic way of actually introducing Panopticon to, to anyone. Yeah, that makes so much sense. Okay, so uh, you, you, you've, you've got your Mount Rushmore up there. Who's the Alexander Hamilton?
2: <laughs> okay, okay. Oh, man. You know, let me throw Andy Connors out there. Andy Connors, as a uh, non-black metal musician, uh, working in uh, a record store in San Francisco and supporting the music scene out there like nobody else, uh, just killing it. Uh, he props up so much of, of the music that came out of that place uh, over a certain number of years. Um, he's so gregarious and so interesting that
1: dude's awesome. So okay. yeah, that, that was so cool to read about him. And man, I just love to be like a fly in the wall in his store, honestly, back in that time. Right.
0: Hmm. Alrighty. Now. Yeah. So you mentioned that you're a teacher as well. Right. And that too, to high school kids, teenagers, uh, both Peter and I teach as well. And we realize that it's one of the best ways for oldies like us to remain connected at whatever level with the youth so keeping that perspective in mind uh do you think black metal still resonates with kids no
2: <laughs> sorry was that too fast
0: <laughs> <laughs> so you don't you get kids coming up to you wanting to talk metal let's broad base it is metal still cool there
2: there, there might be look i work in a pretty rural occasionally suburban area um and so I think we might be a little bit walled off (laughs) from 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 other people's experience uh and I think almost every teen I come into contact with listens to country and rap and you know there was a time when when dubstep was in there but that's gone now yeah um, thank God. <laughs> so look, a couple years ago, I guess probably twenty fourteen or twenty fifteen, there were several people who I had taught who were really interested in metal, uh, specifically this one guy who would like stay after class and like ask me about things. Uh, And talked to me about what he was listening to. And so we started uh, an extreme music club that lasted for three years in the school. Uh, And it was a blast. It was like really interesting people talking about all the crazy, interesting music they liked. Uh, Metal was part of it, but I refused to to, like put restrictions around it. So it was all kinds of really crazy stuff uh, that they were into. And, and then those people graduated, and nobody else I knew was interested, and the club died. I don't know, man. I don't see it. Wh- what about you guys? What, you know, what ages do you teach? What, uh, what do you see?
1: I, I teach master's students. And okay. in my So the subject I teach, uh, we've got... So I teach digital marketing. So I think about 70% of the class are girls. And there's exactly one metalhead in my class. So when he heard I did the podcast, he was really excited.
2: Yeah. Hmm.
0: Okay. Yeah. And I've, 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 I've largely only been teaching, uh, um, what would be between 18 to 21 or 18 to 22, that kind of an age group. And yeah, man, nobody listens to rock or metal anymore.
2: No, no.
0: Okay anyways uh, <laughs> yeah
2: on that uh, very weird note here's our last question and should, just b- before you go we we should uh, we should write a black a depressive black metal album about people <laughs> not listening to depressive black metal
1: hey we have a bassist here i can play a triangle
2: <laughs>
0: <laughs> now that's actually you know you know That could actually become a really popular thing. I mean, didn't wasn't it this year that that we had a metal, a black metal record about uh, what food or something wasn't that?
1: Oh, are you talking vegan black metal chef? That was
0: a few years ago. Oh, that was a few years ago. Okay. anyways, the Internet can lead to new topics. So here's our last question, and I'm going to tie it back into the book. but it's also a question that could become an entire episode on its own uh the introduction to the book has several musicians describing black metal and what black metal means to them and though you've kind of set up your own definition i felt that you ended up shying away from it so here's the question then daniel lake Decibel website muddler and reviews lurker with a penchant for hyphens and floral adjectives. How do you describe black metal? What does it mean to you? (laughs) Satan. Of course, all the listeners can't really see.
1: I'm sorry. <laughs> I, I, I I have to just like...
0: As, he, as, as, he, heard, as soon as he said Satan, I'm sure all of you have that visual in mind.
2: <laughs> I don't know, man. Uh, turn it up to 11. Don't play solos. Make it nasty. Screech over it. Uh, make it so fast that sometimes it rocks and sometimes it blurs into uh, something I can meditate to. Uh, and... Uh, you got yourself some black metal.
0: That's fucking
2: awesome. Awesome.
0: (laughs) On that note, Daniel, thank you so much for sparing some time and chatting with us. We enjoyed this conversation.
2: Oh, thank you. It was great. It was great to meet you. uh, And it was a lot of fun talking.
1: Yeah. Yeah. Thanks a lot. Mm
0: Now, it's not haunts Up without some music. So, Peter, we do have something curated that our audience can listen to, right? With or without the book.
1: Yeah. So, uh, what was cool is I came across a playlist of sorts of all the bands that are featured in uh, the book. So, there's an Apple Music playlist that we'll link to in the show notes. Uh, again, fairly broad gives you an idea of the sound. Again, Black metal in most of the bands, have their sound have evolved. But this is a slight representation of uh, their music. So do check it out.
0: We are staying bookish next week too. But that's a wholly different conversation. And it involves the letters KMF. Does that mean anything? Well, let us know. We are at hauntsuppod.com And on the Twitter machine, at hauntsuppod. As always, I am at Asmoani. And I'm a trend crusher. And this is horns up. Horns up guys.